this year. In a world with so many podcasts that do little more than talk about stuff and talk about other stuff too. You need a hero. You need a podcast with really, really, really good words. With all due respect, entertainment, politics, and life. The podcast that speaks to you, whether you listen or not. Now playing in Apple, Spotify, and all other streaming services. Yo, in the life segment, we welcome our podcast travel guru, MC Scott McMurrin. Upgrade Alaska Airlines with miles, leg room, champagne, big smiles, hotel with beds, Avis car with wheels. My boy Scotty M got them deals. In our life segment, we are pleased to welcome my dear friend and our podcast travel guru, Scott McMurrin. Scott, question for you. What should Alaskans know if they plan to travel within the next 90 days? Uh, yeah, party of three, Al Crow. You can go ahead and approach the podium here. Uh, first in your party would be the, the Max 9 and me. <clears throat> As you know, we're all coming off from that terrible, terrible binger with uh, the uh, uh, door blowing out of the Alaska Airlines jet. And after a three-week pause and inspection and everybody's splitting the frog here four ways, on those Boeing just they're back in the air now. Uh, there are still people who would rather not fly that. And, you know, I've corresponded with Alaska Airlines on that. And they say, hey, look, if you do not want to be on a MAX 9, you do not have to be on a MAX 9. And we will reaccommodate you. They will take care of you and your reservation. It may not be the most convenient one, but they will take care of that. So I think that's a, an important consideration. The other thing is, there were a lot of travelers impacted by that. And this is the first time I've ever had an Alaska Airlines official go on the record saying that they will cover the expenses, the hotel, the Uber rides, the taxis, the meals, reasonable though, um, that they would take care of that. So you just need to email them with your expenses, a cover letter saying, what's up? And um, everybody that I've talked to has been taken care of on that. So that's the Max 9. <clears throat> the other thing that, that that episode really highlighted, Andrew, is how important it is to have travel insurance. And there are a thousand different kinds of travel insurance going from the little, when you're buying your Alaska Airlines ticket, you little hit the button at the end there saying, yeah, I want the insurance for that. <clears throat> that's one thing. If you're going on a seven-day safari in the, in, in the dark heart of Africa, that's another thing. If you're going on a cruise that costs $20,000 to Antarctica, trust me, that's a horse of a different feather. So I will just tell you that um, for me, personally, what I do is I buy an annual plan that covers all the trips within 50 or 100 miles that I take, and there are many. Um, the, the coverage levels aren't that much, and if you want – uh, if you're going on a specific trip, you can uh, go ahead and shop per trip. With the big ones are Allianz, A-L-L-I-A-N-Z, and B-H-T-P. And you can compare the plans at a site called insuremytrip.com or squaremouth.com.
com. The third thing I want you to be, be uh, cognizant of, you wonder how important are those airline credit cards to the airlines? You know, they're always hawking at them saying, here's your bonus miles and stuff like that. Well, you may wonder why. Well, in 2023, according to Alaska Airlines financial reports, the airline made $1.7 billion in uh, credit card commissions from Bank of America. That makes Bank of America, Alaska Airlines, biggest customer encompassing more than 16% of their gross revenue. So if you think that number is big, Delta Airlines made $1.7 billion in the third quarter from American Express. So that's how important those credit cards are to your airline. So those are just three things that you need to keep in mind when you're traveling in the next 90 days. Excellent. Scott McMurrin, we look forward to having you on as a reoccurring segment, and it's great to see you, buddy. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay, you listen to me. This is the part of the podcast where Andrew and Ethan talk about state and local politics. You got a problem with that? You got a problem with what they say? You come see me. Not Paulie, not Silvio, not some disgraced attorney general. You come see me. Capiche? In our politics segment, we're going to focus on the mayor's race. First, let's start with a little current polling. You've got Bronson showing up probably about 31-32%, followed by LaFrance coming in at 26-27%, and then you've got Pop and Tuck rounding out the crowd. Now, inevitably, there's going to be a runoff between Bronson and LaFrance. So the initial polling numbers for the first round kind of give you an idea how close, how far apart, the other candidates, and where those votes might go. Ethan, what's your take on the race so far? I think you, you can expect things to be close. One of the things that I look at very closely is what what people's financial situation is, what their burn rate is, how much money they, they're burned up, and how much money they have cash in hand, because that's indicative about their ability to take things through on the home stretch. And what I see that's pretty compelling is, is in LaFrance's favor, She's got a lot of cash on hand. I think Bill Pop and Chris Tuck uh, have burned uh, burned up substantial percentages of their cash, and they don't have very much left on hand, which means that they don't have a lot of gas in the tank for pushing through to the end. Okay, so let's talk about this because you know clearly there's strategic reasons behind you know the, the levels of of cash on hand. Clearly, Tuck and Pop needed to get out and get name recognition. And that really, you know, that mandates that you get out and spend cash early, where Bronson, as the incumbent, has been able to sit on his cash. He's going to he's going to be there Um, in LaFrance, who's been not only very good at raising money, but gathering endorsements and momentum. So, you know, you have two candidates, Bronson and LaFrance, that pretty much, I think, towards the you know, first month or two into the race, you were pretty much assured that it was going to be a runoff between those two. So they certainly have the ability to conserve cash. It, Bronson's got a significant problem, though, is that he's a very known commodity and he has incredibly high negatives. And even with the cash that he has on hand, he's been unable to start to turn people's mind and change people's opinions. And that's the problem. He's he's pretty much ossified. He's calcified. He is a rock in terms of what the electorate perceives him as. And they basically don't like the job that he's done. Well, and that's, you know, that's a good launching pad for history. 
Because you remember, you go back and five months into Bronson's term, I remember in the fall of 2021, he was then polling at about a 32, 33% approval rating. So, you know, this is a guy. And we can't, we, we, let me put it this way. D- Dave Bronson is looking up at Joe Biden. That's how bad his numbers are. And, and this is the this is going to be the challenge for Bronson, right? Because this is certainly a different race than it was three years ago, right? Last three years ago, he had public anger. You had the pandemic, right? You drew out a lot of first time angry voters. But this guy's had three years to govern and his three years have been an absolute disaster. And so when you look at his polling from one of the first polls taken four months after he was sworn in to today, he has not gained anyone. And that, to me, Ethan, seems problematic for a guy who won by less than a thousand votes out of a hundred thousand cast. I mean, this guy won by a dog's hair. And so his mission every day of his administration was to add votes. I need more people to like me, more people to support me. But he's done exactly the opposite. No, he, he's come in as being incredibly partisan, very rancorous, uh, very divisive. And, you know, Anchorage is a purple city. It, it's not red. It's not blue. It's pretty purple. And the farther right he went, the the more hyperbolic he was about uh, people who had a different political perspective than he was, the more he turned people off. And once you turn people off, it's very hard to turn them back on again. Well, and it wasn't just, you know, as we know, and we, we covered in depth over the last three years on this podcast, it wasn't like the guy had a bad stretch. I mean, this guy's had a bad three years, right? I mean, you know, uh, you can have a bad week or a bad month or whatever, but this guy's had a bad three years. And what's interesting to me is, is now I want to get into kind of the campaigns and what you see. What I see consistently from, from Mayor Bronson and what I hear consistently at forums is he is want to blame the assembly, right? Now, this is a guy, like you go back and you look at how many actual Bronson administration confirmations were unanimous, right? So this whole thing about, oh, the assembly's been, you know, a hurdle is nonsense if you look at the record. But this is a guy- He's like a- yeah. He, he's a country song uh, about bad road yeah. and it just keeps going on and on. And the, the, the twang is just terrible for him. It is. And, and you go back and, and he systematically failed at every juncture. But now when you hear him kind of try and revise history, like, oh, it's the assembly's fault. It was, you know, did the assembly pick Dimboski or Morgan or Morris? <laughs> I mean, any of these people. So I think that's going to be interesting. And, and certainly given the public's feeling, the fact that this guy has been locked in and he has consistently had a negative above 50 percent, I just don't see him convincing too many people. But, hey, you've seen stranger things in Alaska politics before, my friend. We, we, we've seen many strange things. Um, one of the, the perhaps the most significant obstacle he has is, is your street well plowed? Because that is sort of the the basic question that a mayor has to answer is, did I do a good job plowing the roads? Not, you know, what excuse do I have for why the roads are – excuses don't matter. It's performance that counts. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the campaign. Um, You and I both know this is a a grind, right? This is a grind, Uh, especially the last month and a half, two months of the campaign, because every group wants five minutes of your time. There's a different luncheon every day. There's a different forum every day. There's a different debate every day. So 
you know, one thing I certainly want to say is is candidates with families, you know, this is a tough time, right? I mean, you're you're out at these forums, and so obviously that's why I think people, you know, sometimes it's hard to understand what people sacrifice when they run for office. But it's a lot of hard work, and you put your put yourself out there. So we're getting into the time where there's forums, and one of the forums this past week discussed one of the most critical uh, issues facing Alaska and especially Anchorage, and that's Cook Inlet Natural Gas. Now, the four top runners uh, in the mayoral campaign each had different ideas. Uh, uh, Pop and in La France, I think, were the closest, saying, "Look, we're going to pay more." Right? Uh, Tuck had this kind of, "Hey, we need to get together and collaborate." And Kumbaya and Bronson's drill, baby drill. Right. So, if you understand the history behind Cook Inlet, you know two things: one, there's plenty of gas there; but two, there's nobody willing to take the risk to spend the money to get it out of the ground. And that's because Alaska has proven to be an uncertain business partner. You'll remember 10 years ago when we last had this problem, we threw a lot of incentives out there. We're giving away cash for companies to come drill. Oil prices crashed in 2014. The legislature said, oh, by the way, we're not sending those checks anymore. And you had these companies out there that had already committed to debt that were then unable to satisfy that debt. They had counted on those tax incentives by the legislature. So a couple of things, Ethan, let me throw it to you. You have a situation where basically today it is royalty free to produce gas and cook inlet, right? You produce gas, all the profit's yours, right? Please just take it out of the ground for us. So these attempts to tweak royalty taxes, not going to work very well, okay? So my question to you is, how do we swim in solutions rather than drown in problems? Look, I, I think I listened to uh, the the recounting of of the discussion about cooking the gas, and I think fundamentally that's the wrong question. The question isn't about cooking the gas. The question is about energy supplies. Um, where are we going to get the energy supplies? And what was instructive about listening to these candidates is it gave insight into their problem problem solving. Uh, approach. Um, I, I think when you approach a problem like how we, we're, we're running out of energy, what are we going to do to fix it? You have to ask a couple of questions. What can we do ourselves and how quickly can we do it? And trying to f- fix the, the shortage of Cook Inlet gas by trying to get more gas out of Cook Inlet is a non-starter. I mean, maybe one day there will be more Cook Inlet gas. The municipality of Anchorage has a substantial asset that could be producing significant amounts of energy within two years. We could be we could be displacing Cook Inlet gas within a matter of months. Let me give you those two examples I'm talking about. The first one would, would be to create an inner tie between Elmendorf and Fort Richardson. Currently, we use, we, we use landfill gas to help power Elmendorf. There is no inner tie to get over to Fort Rich. Fort Rich burns about 5% of the gas coming out of Cook Inlet. We could displace that gas consumption out uh, of the uh, out of uh, municipal assets. So get that inner tie built. We're going to need congressional help to do it, but it needs to happen. The second thing that happened is, is also with the municipal asset, which is the landfill, is we can do waste to energy. And waste to energy would allow us to displace about 15 to 20 percent of the gas that's currently consumed in Cook Inlet. It would re- generate a return for the rate payers uh, of the municipality, for the taxpayers of the municipality. It would extend the life of the landfill. It would help the entire region. So there are some significant benefits there. And on top of that, for 
goodness sakes. We, we live in a, a place that is abundant in renewable resources. We have maybe 11 significantly sized turbines, wind turbines on Fire Island. Let's put up some more wind turbines and, and displace more energy. We could do it uh, in many different places. There's geothermal energy close by. Every, I used to say that every time you see Mount Spur spewing something, think of that as a power surge. We're not tapping into that. We're not tapping into tidal. We've barely gotten into the, the, the solar that's available to to us. So there is energy available that we are in control of putting together. So it is really critical for us to stop plowing the same old ground, stop just fixating on gas, and start thinking about what we can do that uses our imagination, uses our resources, and make sure that we can do things ourselves and do it quickly. Okay, so the warning is, is that if the legislature doesn't take some kind of concrete action this year, that yeah, it's inevitable that we'll have to import gas and uh, you're looking at a 50% higher cost. Now, it seems to me in all of this- Go right ahead. Andrew, I, I, I disagree with the premise. Is is instead of saying, how, how can we replace gas with gas? How can we get energy in so we are not reliant on gas that's a, a, a commodity that's in short supply? And that's what we need to think of and why we need some more creativity. Well, and, and, and that, was, that was where I was headed. I mean, this whole conversation to me just, to, seems to be so far from, from the discussion and kind of the theory and the vision of Alaska 20 years ago. And, you know, there was a three or four year stretch where I really got, really got tired of hearing this, that, ooh, Alaska is the renewable energy laboratory of the world, right? It's like, okay, so why are we only using one tool, right? We have this wonderful laboratory. Why are we only using one tool? But here's the challenge, and it's part of a bigger problem. When you go back 10 or 15 years and you look at why gas is no longer profitable, we lost a number of those major, major users, Right. And again, Ethan, this gets back to what you and I have talked about on this on this podcast for the last year about the state is shrinking. Our economies of scale are shrinking. The the users here that used to generate the capacity where we all could enjoy cheap energy are gone and moved on. Right. And this is why I believe it's not this is why I believe you and I know it's why it's happening, because the banks and financial institutions have been telling us this for 20 years. You people don't have a stable fiscal situation. You know, you get into these where you start giving out cash money to generate natural resource development, then oil prices, commodity prices crash, you people pull it all back and these companies go bankrupt. We're tired of it. I mean, and that is a direct result. It is a flawed economic concept for us to be consuming a commodity instead of selling it, especially when we have an alternative to consuming that commodity. If we were able to generate our own energy with our own local resources, then we could export whatever gas we had and actually make more money from it. This is a, a, a very peculiar situation that we put ourselves into and locked ourselves into and are not really trying hard to get out of. Instead, we're trying to, to cement ourselves into this reliance, which has proven problematic for the last 30 years. In our entertainment segment, Verdi's La Traviata is coming to Anchorage in April. The perfect opera for those who know nothing about opera. Entra nel mondo glamour della Parigi del XIX secolo. Incontra Violetta. Sta vivendo la sua vita migliore quando si innamora di un giovane nobile di campagna e la sua vita prende una serie di svolte 
strazianti. Ladies and gentlemen, if you did not understand what I just said, don't worry, the opera has subtitles. La Traviata explores themes of love, sacrifice, and the clash between personal desires and societal expectations. After watching La Traviata, you'll come to the conclusion that every problem in life can be solved by singing loudly and dramatically. La Traviata plays at the Anchorage Performing Arts Center from April 26th to April 28th. Get your ticket online at centertix.com and enjoy the opera. Oh, hi, Christopher Walken here. This is the segment of Andrew's podcast I've never really understood. Closing comments. I mean, the entire show is comments. I mean, why not just have closing comments a part of the regular comments? And that way we can all get out of here early. In closing comments, the pack mentality. Look, as a former legislator and a four-year member of the House Majority Caucus, I know what it's like to be part of a pack. It feels good, at least for 120 days. You got enough votes to control the committees. You have enough votes to control what goes on the floor. Pretty much, you're the majority. And life is good when you're the majority. But one thing as a freshman legislator I soon realized was when that gavel drops and that whole pack disperses from Juno, you are on your own. And ladies and gentlemen, I am sure over the course of your lifetime, you have inevitably seen those National Geographic safari videos, or that water buffalo, or that wildebeest, or warthog, or whatever, travels a little too far from the pack, and there's no protection. And there you are, all alone, being hunted by a group of Sand Lake lions. Be careful. The pack is intoxicating, but the pack causes illusions. And once you return home to your district, let's say if you've won by nine votes, you better be ready to run. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. We're coming out all the time now. No set schedule. Going to hope and get a big episode out every seven to ten days. A quick hit out every three to four days. So subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Cheers.